for your character. We thank you that you are a holy uh, and loving creator, God. You are in full control of all things. Uh, Lord, we um, only have uh, just a finite view and we can't presume to know um, what you're doing through um, just all these circumstances, but we can know uh, your will through your revealed word. Uh, I just pray, Father, uh, that as we delve into the book of 1 Timothy tonight, uh, that we would have hearts that are um, open to your leading uh, through your word, uh, that we would be um, open to um, just the sanctification and purification through, through your everlasting word. Uh, I just pray that uh, whatever circumstances we may be coming from, uh, from school, from work, uh, from challenging relationships, uh, just challenging circumstances, uh, help us to uh, just be uh, open to your leading, be open to the leading of your spirit. We thank you and lift these things up. Amen. Father God, we thank you, Lord, because you are good. And we just praise you for even the opportunity to, to meet virtually tonight, Lord. And even though uh, we, we do long to see each, each other um, and to be with one another, Lord, just the chance that we have to, uh, to be together here and to hear your word, Lord, it's a good thing. So, Father, I thank you. And, Father, would you uh, be with us tonight? We know that we need your help and your spirit to understand your word, Lord. So we ask for that in full measure. And, Father, I just pray for everybody who's in attendance tonight, Lord, that uh, as Stephen was praying, uh, many of us come from uh, different kinds of days, different circumstances in our lives right now, Lord. And Father, you know them all, um, and you know us, and you know our frame, Lord. And Father, I just pray that as we come tonight, each of those things, Lord, we would submit to you, and that we would be here to hear your word, because your word gives life, and your word gives instruction. Um, so Father, we, we, we praise you, and we thank you, and we don't know where we'd be or where we would be lost, Lord, without your word guiding us. I just pray for Mark as he leads us through the word tonight. Um, and I just pray that each of us as we hear and as we receive it, Lord, that we wouldn't see it as uh, just an opportunity to uh, understand the passage better, Lord, but that we would really hear it as your words to us, Lord, words to submit to and words that truly do give life, Lord. And I just pray that as we uh, walk together in submission to these words as your church, um, that we, we would be able to see the fruit of that. We'd be able to see the fruit of a, a life and of a church that walks by faith according to your word, Lord, and uh, what you desire for us. So thank you again for the opportunity that we have, um, all the times that we get to be together, even virtually our precious Lord. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Again, welcome to, to Lagos. Uh, this is our second large group meeting. Um, and if you are tracking um, this week, uh, as we get into the first uh, um, uh, passage in First Timothy, what we're trying to do is uh, many of you all were part of Lagos pre-COVID. Um, and during those times, we would get together, meet in our small groups at the time, and do an induct inductive study uh, of the text in our groups. Um, 
we would uh, go through observations, insights, uh, applications that we made in our personal studies. And then when we came together back in uh, the large group forum, we would have small groups uh, that would share a couple highlights from their discussion. So as far as our order of worship tonight, we're going to try and replicate that uh, moving forward, uh, though virtually. Um, so we have a couple um, uh, folks uh, that were uh, tapped tonight to, to share some highlights from their group and we'll go to them shortly. Uh, but as far as the order of worship afterwards, we'll have uh, Pastor Mark um, uh, preach the word from First Timothy um, and then we'll wrap up with some announcements and then uh, we'll leave the line open for uh, just a little bit of hangout time. Um, and if you did that last time, uh, we suggested having some snacks on hand since we can all share communal snacks together. So feel free to uh, raid your pantry and, and hang out with us afterwards. Um, so, so tonight we have two groups uh, that'll be sharing. Uh, first will be Jonathan Tay from Terrence's group. Um, and then afterwards, we'll have Jess Lowe from Andrea's group. Um, and they're going to be sharing one highlight, uh, one or two highlights from their discussion. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then we'll move on to the proclamation of the word. So without further ado, let's go to Jonathan Tay. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me? <laughs> yep. Come in loud and clear. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we met earlier this week, and it was a just an encouragement for all of us. And um, so we just, like, we discussed um, the background of First Timothy and how it contained, like, the pastoral instruction to Timothy and just the import and just how the verses compared and contrasted the characteristics of sound versus false doctrine, um, the importance of sound doctrine and the law. We also kind of a highlight that we did was we also discussed some key cross references in the passage um, specific to verse nine and 10, where there were examples of sins dealing with a person's relationship to God and um, people and other people. And it was in violation of the 10 commandments as referenced in Exodus 20. We all agree that what was in the passage is applicable today as um, there are still false teachers and they will exist and they'll devote themselves um, to endless genealogies and that these types of speculations are a waste of time and it pulls away, pulls us away from the gospel. So we are all encouraged that to examine through scripture, how we are experiencing things and are we be, being biblically discerning and obedient to God's law and how we're advocating those things. And I think we are all charged that we need to be firmly rooted in the gospel ministry and in prayer and, um, so that we're not tossed back and forth in worldly things and that we have the right foundation um, grounded in, in the gospel so that because what we say and do can significantly impact those around us. So that was kind of the highlights from our discussion. Awesome. Thanks, Jonathan, for sharing. We'll hand it off to, to Jess. And I mistakenly mispronounced Andrea's name. So sorry about that, Andrea. Um, hi everyone, uh, my name is Jessica Lowe. I'm in Andrea's uh, small group. Uh, just thankful for the opportunity to share like a few highlights from our group discussion. Um, we also went over the exegesis 101 sheet. Um, we highlighted that Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a pastor at the church in Ephesus, right? Uh, Paul is telling Timothy to stay in Ephesus to address false teaching. 
um, in the Ephesian church. Um, one of the takeaways was, you know, Paul's exhortation for Timothy to um, defend the true gospel and to do so in Christian love that's rooted in the go glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Um, but the law is good and it's to reveal like our sinfulness and call us to repentance and turn to Christ um, and not to our works. Um, that Paul is speaking with apostolic authority, which is from God. Uh, them. Um, and First Timothy, uh, cross-reference First Timothy 6, 3-4, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slang, evil suspicions. Uh, also, uh, Galatians 1, 6-7, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Um, so yeah, Timothy is to charge those uh, whose teaching doesn't agree with the sound words of Christ, right? They're um, not walking by the spirit. Um, and, you know, when we act in Christian love, right, we are coming from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith as in verse uh, five. So yeah, I think we just highlighted that, yeah, Paul is speaking to young Timothy to defend the true gospel of salvation against false teachers, that Christ is our hope, true peace, um, and to the gospel that should result in love for the truth and not in like endless um, discussions and myths, but instead in um, result in stewardship of the gospel from God that is by faith in verse four. Awesome. Thanks, Jess. Thanks again to Jonathan. Um, so hopefully you all are plugged into discipleship groups um, and are taking advantage of that time together and going through the Exegesis 101. Uh, I'll hand it off to Pastor Mark, who will uh, be presenting the word to us. Thanks, Steve. Well, I hope you all had a sweet time in your Exegesis time. And uh, Jess and Jonathan, um, you know, it was really nice job. You guys did well. So. It's a, certainly a big encouragement to, to me to hear that. Well, we're launching into 1 Timothy, and we've been in 1 Timothy for a little while. And uh, we went through this and we walked through this during the summer. And part of the context, part of our church context is our focus this year is God's high calling for gospel leadership in his church. God's high calling for gospel leadership in the church. And uh, it's a focus in our church because we would like to see our church increasingly every year until Jesus comes become more like what we read in our Bible. And that, for that to happen, that's got to happen with the leaders first. It has to happen with the leadership. And it's important for the church to appreciate this because members need to know what to look for in godly leadership. You should all be coming you should all be becoming godly leaders, okay? People of influence who are influencing others for the gospel and pointing people to Christ and making disciples and encouraging them and having an impact. But for that to happen, you need 
the godly leaders who reflect Christ, who Christ has put in your life to come alongside you, to love you, to encourage you, and to point you to him and to run with you in your life. Godly leadership is a cornerstone. It is not the cornerstone. The cornerstone of the church is Christ, but Christ has provided godly leadership to be an essential and critical and central part of the local church. Without godly leadership, we're a cult. Okay, and that's to some degree what what Paul is addressing with Timothy in these opening chapters. Uh, but let's step back for a second. Let me see if I can get my PowerPoint um, working here. Bear with me if you would for just one second. Okay, are we good? Can we see it? Get a thumbs up. All right. Um, all right. Where we're going big picture with this and why the exegesis sheet and why the background where we're going, we want to pay close attention to the words that are spoken because our conviction is these are the words that have been breathed out from the mouth of God. They give life. Okay. One of the Proverbs that I was studying this week, it says Proverbs 13, 13, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Okay, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. That throughout scripture, God's word gives life, and it's a life or death proposition. We receive it by faith, life is given, we neglect it or abuse it or we walk away, sure destruction is there. And this, of course, all points us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't separate Jesus from the Word of God. The two are one. He is the living Word of God. And so that's why we spend this time going over it, even a second time, and paying close attention to it so that we're not imposing our own ideas, which is very much what Paul is going to address with Timothy. But instead, we can have that opportunity by the power of the Spirit to hear His Word and to allow His Word to wash us and clean us and transform us and change us into the image of Christ. And, and that very much is the, the core theme of what the Apostle Paul is beginning to address. How is the Word handled? How is doctrine handled? Doctrine is just another term for the teaching of the church. How are these things being addressed and how are they being handled in particular by the leaders? And how are they being responded to or received by those in the church? So hopefully this week you went through um, the context, okay, of Timothy. Um, and what we're trying to do here is we're trying to come under the word, okay? And this evening, hopefully what I'll do briefly is to do a summary. You all have labored through the exegesis sheet. You've gotten together. And I'm just trying to tie up everything and, and put out the really big points and help prioritize the, the main points. But as we come into this uh, book, First Timothy, okay, what's critical is we understand where it fits in in God's story of redemption. As we've said before, the Bible is God's love letter to us. It shares to us or it reveals to us <clears throat> who God is, what he is like, and what he requires of us. And it unfolds his story and his plan for us. And it has a beginning, 
Genesis, and it has an end, Revelation. Okay, and if we do not appreciate where First Timothy is or the verses that we're reading, the word that we're reading, yeah, we could just open up a Bible, pick out a verse, and say, <clears throat> okay, this applies to me, or this makes me feel good. And in that way, I'm playing God, okay? Um, Rick Holland used to joke with me when I used to come to him. And, uh, uh, you know, I was interested in a, a young lady who was in his ministry. And I said to Rick Holland, Rick, you know, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Is this something that you see as a fit or is it not a fit? Do you approve or do you not approve? Okay, because I wanted to go to him as a shepherd. I was working at Grace Community Church. And he graciously said, Mark, I see no reason why you shouldn't move forward. And then very jokingly with a wink and a nudge, he said to me, what you've decided to do, go and do quickly. Okay. He said, that's a little out of context, but you understand what I'm saying. Well, that's taken from where Jesus tells Judas after he's dipped the bread to go and betray him, you know, and Satan's entered him, go and what you need to do, do quickly. Okay. Well, Rick was doing that tongue in cheek a little bit, but many times that's how we approach the Bible. Okay. And in fact, I no longer, when I shepherd people, just ask, what are you reading? Or are you reading your Bible? Because for many people, they're reading their Bible and it means absolutely nothing because they're reading into it what they want to see in that text or that scripture. That's called eisegesis, or they're bringing a worldly mindset, which is what we're going to see today, that Paul charges Timothy to say, get rid of that in the church. There's no place for that in the church. We need to receive the word as God has given it. We need to understand specifically what God is saying to us, not what Pastor Mark is saying to us, okay? So where does Timothy fit in in the story of redemption, in God's love letter to his children, okay? Clearly, it's in the New Testament in your Bibles, okay? And as we go to the New Testament, we see that we've got the Gospels, which are the four uh, narratives that are provide us with eyewitness accounts and theological interpretation of the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his life on earth, his gospel ministry, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. And then after the gospels, we have the book of Acts, which carries on Jesus' ministry through the life of the apostles and the birth of the church, the ecclesia of Jesus Christ, the gathering together of the household of God, that is made possible by the Spirit and by the risen Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. And then after the book of Acts, we, and Acts is really like a narrative. letters. Typically, they've been written, most of them, because there's a problem that has come up in a local church. And uh, we have the Apostle Paul, or have, we have other apostles who are being sought out, and they write letters that are breathed out by God himself through the Spirit, okay, to give instruction to that early church. And at the very end, you have the book of Revelation, which is a prophetic book that ties up and closes up the entire redemptive history or plan that God has for his people. Well, where does 1 Timothy fit in? Clearly, 1 Timothy is a letter. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. But it's collected in 
our Bibles, as you look in our Bibles, in the section of the Apostle Paul's epistles. If you look at the index of your Bible and you go through it and you go through the New Testament, you're going to see that the epistles have been gathered together for us, and this is by church tradition. It's not inspired, okay? These letters circulated around to different churches. And then as we get to the second century and the third century, okay, as there is heresy and false teaching, the church leaders get together and many of them have different letters or they pass them around or they've copied them, but it's clear which letters have come directly from the apostles, directly from the Holy Spirit that are faithful to the gospel, okay? They collect them. And by church tradition, as you look in our Bibles, they've collected and put all the Apostle Paul's letters together, okay? So you've got the book of Acts, then you have the Apostle Paul's epistles that are gathered together so that you can read through them and have an appreciation of the Apostle Paul's ministry. And then afterwards, you have the other Apostles' epistles, and then you get to the book of Revelation. Well, when you look at that section on the Apostle Paul's epistles, where does the epistle of Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, and then to Titus, uh, where do they come in our Bibles? Do they come at the beginning of Paul's epistles as they are put in the Bible? Now, you have to understand they haven't been put there chronologically per se, okay? But where, where does this fit in? Kento, you're on my screen, so that means I'm going to ask you all the questions all night long, brother. Uh, towards the end? Yes, good, good answer, good answer. All right, Ken, you get the rusty fridge in Canada somewhere. We'll give that to you as the grand prize. Yeah, it comes at the end, okay? And so they've placed these at the end. They put Romans, you know, Paul's major, you know, magnum opus, summation of his ministry summarized in the book of Romans, okay, and the gospel ministry. But close to the end of this collection of Paul's letters, we get what's referred to now as the pastoral epistles, letters that are written to individual pastors, okay, but are meant for churches as a whole. But these letters also come close to the end of the Apostle Paul's life and his ministry historically, okay? Not all the epistles are put together chronologically in our Bibles, okay? But for sure, First and Second Timothy and Titus are coming at the very end of Paul's life and at the end of his ministry, okay? And so the gospel context that we have here is Jesus has died. He's risen from the grave. He has sent the apostles out to take the good news of the gospel, all right, to all the nations. And he has filled them with his spirit at Pentecost. He has launched the church, okay? And the apostles are doing the leadership ministry of the church. But as we get to 62 and 64 AD, okay, some of the apostles have been killed, okay? They've been executed. Uh, the numbers are starting to dwindle. The Apostle Paul knows that his ministry is coming to an end, and he has sent Timothy out to the church in Ephesus, okay? And clearly from the beginning, the, the author of this is the Apostle Paul. The person who's receiving this is Timothy, okay? But what's interesting as you read this letter is that, yes, this letter is written to Timothy, but it's a letter that's clearly meant for the entire church, okay? And by extension, it is a letter 
which I think is assumed is meant to be handed around to all the other churches in Asia Minor as well. Okay, so yes, it's, it's a little bit sometimes like when I do a wedding ceremony, I speak to the couple and my message is specifically for that couple who I am marrying okay, or who the Lord is really marrying, okay, but it's also intended for everybody in attendance to hear, and it's meant to be applied to all of them as well, and I believe that's very much the intent of First Timothy and Second Timothy and also Titus, okay, so when we talk about who's listening, who's the original audience, yes, it was Pastor Timothy, but it was also the Ephesian church, which in many ways was the leading church in Asia Minor, okay, a little bit in some ways, how we view Grace Community Church in our circles, okay? The sort of major epicenter of the gospel ministry in Asia Minor, okay, and in the Roman Empire. And then, by extension, this is meant for the churches in Asia Minor as well, okay? If we want to get a feel of the historical context, I know there's a lot of commentaries out there that you can read and get details, but our commitment here is that the highest authority and the most reliable text is God's Word. And the place we need to start is with God's Word. And so uh, one of the things that I believe Martin Luther really lifted up was this idea of analogia scriptura, okay? The idea of that scripture is to interpret scripture, okay? You can listen to me or you can go to God's Word. You can listen to my stories about history but the most reliable text is going to be the Word of God. And so actually, there's a wonderful wealth of context about what's going on in Timothy's life and in the church in Ephesus in our scripture. When you go to Acts 16 to 28, okay, the second half of the book of Acts, it really unfolds the history of the church in Ephesus. It also unfolds for us who Timothy is. He's the son of a Jewish mother and a Gentile father, which is very interesting that Paul would choose him. For that period in time to be a troubleshooter in Ephesus, a church that was filled with both Jews and Gentiles, okay? Uh, Timothy is saved under Paul's ministry, and then through the missionary journeys that Paul continually goes back through those areas, Paul selects Timothy to be his co-worker for the gospel, his son in the faith, his, in some ways, his disciple, his right-hand man, and then as you read the epistles, you see that Paul almost always has contact with Timothy. Timothy's name comes up over and over and over again. Timothy is very much his right-hand man, and if he's not with Paul, then he's troubleshooting something for Paul. He's been sent out to a church where there's a problem, and Paul cannot be there directly, so he sends Timothy on his behalf as his apostle, small a, to be his representative, okay? Uh, but what we also have, too, is you can read the epistle to the Ephesians, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians while he's in prison. And this epistle likely is happening before Paul writes to Timothy, I believe. I'll have to double check on that. But that gives you a context a little bit of the church in Ephesus. But also what we know as well is the apostle John, John the Beloved, had a ministry out of the church of Ephesus in his later life. And so as you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you get an idea of some of the heresies and false teachings and some of the church splits that are happening that are coming in because of the attacks on the gospel, okay? And then as we come to Revelation, the final book of the Bible, Jesus addresses the church in Ephesus directly, and he charges them with being sound on doctrine, 
but forgetting their first love. Okay, and so you can begin to see this history of the church of Ephesus, and it's consistent with all of Paul's writings, where Christ is present, where the gospel is going out, Christ will always be attacked as they have hated me, they will hate you, his teaching, his word, his ministry, his love will always be attacked, and sadly, as he points out, and Jesus warns us about this in the gospels, he is going to come and be attacked not only by those who are outside of the church, the pagans, they're going to be Judases. They're going to be people in inner circles who are going to veer off or teach a different doctrine or attack the church. There are going to be those who are Bible experts like the Pharisees and scribes who are incredibly knowledgeable. There are going to be men who are gifted in communication and in the art of rhetoric and persuading people with biblical knowledge. And yet these, even within the community, are going to be attacking the gospel because they are not of Christ and they are not of the Lord. Because our salvation is not based on our learning, our skill, our ability, our work, our intellect. Praise God, that's not the case, right? Our salvation is based on the work of the Lord in our hearts. We are saved by grace through faith. Okay, so Jesus warns about this early on. He talks about the yeast of the Pharisees, like a little bit of yeast leavens the whole bread. It takes very little of false teaching or stepping away from the word of God and the teaching of Christ and the gospel to destroy a family, a relationship, a church, okay, or a series of churches. Jesus has already laid that foundation. And so as you read that context in Acts 16 through 28, and you read these letters around 1 Timothy, what you see is as Timothy has been sent by Paul to be a pastor in a church which is under attack, okay? The gospel is being attacked as Timothy is there trying to shepherd and pastor this church in Paul's place, as he's trying to carry on the Apostle Paul's gospel ministry, Okay? Apostolic air is coming to a close. The baton is being handed off to Timothy. Timothy is standing in Paul's place, okay? And the gospel ministry is coming under attack, and Christ is coming under attack. And how is Christ and his gospel ministry coming under attack? First and foremost, it's coming by or an attack on the teaching and the leadership. Those are the two big areas where cracks are starting to show. And as a result of it, it's starting to affect every aspect of church life. It's affecting church families. It's affecting the order of worship. It's affecting the care for people in the church. Every aspect of the church is being affected. And the target of the attack is coming at the leadership and the teaching. And very specifically, people are giving Timothy heat. As you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you can see that Timothy is getting beat up in the ministry. And by extension, what they're trying to do is if we can't get at Paul, we're going to get at Timothy. And we're going to say Timothy's young. We're going to say Timothy's not as sophisticated a teacher. He's not as learned. He's not as persuasive. You know, he's not the same or of the same stature as Paul. All of these different, what we call ad hominem, attack the man. If you can take down the man, then you can get rid of him. You can also get rid of his teaching and you can promote yourself. Okay. So Timothy is being beaten up 
in ministry, all right? And there's starting to be a following of these men who are false teachers, men who may have even been elders or who may have allegedly, you know, come to Christianity while Paul was a missionary there. But now in his absence, they have set themselves up in a position of power to lead the church and to take control. And we're going to find out a little bit of the details about what that's about. What specifically is the purpose? Okay, that's the problem that's surrounding this letter and the occasion for which Paul, uh, on a human level, out of necessity, writes this letter to help Timothy out as he is under attack and the gospel is under attack. What's the purpose? I'm going to encourage you to go through 1 Timothy and read it two or three times. You could probably read 1 Timothy in 10 or 15 minutes, but maybe 15, 20, okay? But you go through it and you read it, and you read it, and you read it. The highest authority is going to be the text, the Word of God itself. And as we look to say, what's the purpose of a book? Why was it written? Our first due diligence should really go to the text itself, First Timothy, and look to see if there's anything written there that makes clear why this letter was written. And Paul throws it out for us, okay? 1 Timothy 1.3 says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And that term doctrine just refers to teaching, okay? And so one of the reasons this is being written, the purpose is to address false teaching in the church, okay? The other uh, place where Paul makes clear the reason he's writing is, 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. Okay, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul explicitly writes, he says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I'm know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So Paul is writing this with instructions to Timothy as the pastor of the local church so that the members of the church and Timothy would know how they're supposed to behave and so how they're supposed to conduct themselves in the household of God. And then finally, at the very end, okay, as Paul closes it out, 6, 12, 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, okay? see. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then drop down to verse 20, okay? O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Okay. And summing up one of the purposes, Paul is making the point, the good news of Jesus Christ, the presence of Jesus Christ, the words of Jesus Christ is a priceless treasure. Okay, it's worth more than all the money in the world. Timothy, this is a treasure that needs to be protected and guarded and kept and watched over. Okay, and you think of the most valuable thing in your house and how you care for that. 
you think of how we respond if someone comes up to the car that we've just bought and they open the door and they ding it or put a scratch in it, how that makes us feel, okay? We gotta go and rub and look at it. And we just think of things that we buy that are new, okay? And how we care for those things, buying warranties to protect the appliances in our home, okay? All of the different things we do to care for the things that we treasure. Well, this letter is being written to give Timothy very specific instructions that there's a very particular way Christ wants us to guard and care for the good news of Jesus Christ. All right? I say that and labor on that because, you know, brothers and sisters, let's think about that for a minute. How do we care for and handle the gospel? Man, the gospel, there are like 31 flavors, Baskin Robbins of the gospel, okay? From one person to the next. It is handled so cheaply, okay? And in such a low fashion. We had a, 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 a plumber come by and service our home recently, okay? And when he finished the job, I gave him some extra money to buy him lunch, and I gave him one of our gospel cards, which had the gospel on it, okay? Why did I do that? Because I may never see this person again. Christ is coming soon. And the most valuable thing that he received that day was the good news of Jesus Christ clearly stated, okay? That God has created us for a reason to worship him. We are sinners who have rebelled against him. We need a savior and we need forgiveness and we're not able to do it ourselves. So God sent his son to live a life that we could never live. He died on the cross in our place to bear the wrath of God. He rose on the third day and was vindicated by the Father and the Spirit. He sits at the right hand of the Father. One day he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And through him and by him and in him alone is the only way in which we can be made right with God. Okay, The gospel, that is a treasure, brothers and sisters, which should be guarded and cared for but also shared with others. It's what gives us life. It is what saved us, okay? And that, brothers and sisters, is what this epistle is all about. How do we care for the most valuable possession in our church and in our life? Okay, well, with that, we'll go to the introduction of 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 11. And Kento, since I'm looking at you all the time and you're on my screen, you're going to read it for us, okay? Okay. First uh, Timothy 1, 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, 
and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord, okay? This is more or less my summary, okay, of, of the first 11 verses, this introduction. When you read the epistles, that opening chapter lays the foundation for the rest of the epistle, okay? The rest of the epistle. Like a story, each of the epistles. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's the end. And the beginning, you have to pay careful and close attention because it's laying down the foundation upon which everything else stands. If you jump in the end or take a verse here and take a verse there, you can totally take it out of context. And many people do very legalistically, and we'll address that this evening, okay? But, you know, my summary for 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 11 is, is simply this. Christ cares for his family, okay? The church is the household of the living God. It is Christ's family. He has died for it. And he has died so that we can be forgiven and we can belong to him and we can be his possession. Okay. We belong to him and he cares about it. He cares about it immensely. Okay. Um, you know, we had a not so great soccer coach for one of our boys. Okay. One of our boys had an amazing soccer coach. Another one, it wasn't so great. And close to the end of the season, some of the things that were being said and some of the instruction and how it was going was starting to get increasingly disturbing, okay? For at that time, a five-year-old child. And at a certain point, Julie and I were like, okay, maybe we need to just pull our one son from this league and from everything, okay? Why? Because we love our son and we care for him and the stuff that's being put into him, wherever it happens to be, at a certain point, we're saying, look, this is destructive, and this is totally contrary to everything we want for our child. Time out. Okay? And we've got to look at that. Christ, the point that, that the Apostle Paul's making, Christ, we're his family. He cares what we eat. He cares what we think. He cares what comes into our lives. He loves us. And he has a goal and an end point that we would be with him and like him, that he's molding us into his image. That's why he came and died. He came and died for us because we're not like him, okay? And it's going to take a little time. And so he cares about his family. And so the first thing in verses 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2 is the opening greeting. And typically we can move fast through these things because, okay, it's Paul to Timothy. But if you look at the greetings carefully, they're foundational. And verse 1 and 2, Paul makes this point. Christ cares about who commands his church. Christ cares about who leads in his church. Okay, it's not nobody showed up, so Pastor Mark was there, so Pastor Mark better lead the church. No, Christ cares who commands his church. And so that's why Paul, at the very beginning, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus a herald or an ambassador who has been sent by Jesus Christ himself. Someone who meets the criteria. He has been called and chosen by Jesus. He has witnessed Jesus risen from the grave. He has been commissioned to take the good news of Jesus Christ and to be a mouthpiece for Christ himself. Paul's words when he writes as an apostle of Jesus Christ are the words of Christ himself. Okay? 
makes it clear. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by whose command? Not Peter, not James, not the men who are head of the Jerusalem church, not the Pope, not John MacArthur, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Okay? And right here he addresses the deity of Christ. He makes Christ equal with God the Father. Okay? But he makes it clear, too, who is our hope, Christ Jesus. But this is by their command. All right? And the reason he's mentioning this is because men in the church are appealing to worldly standards to persuade people that Paul and by extension, Timothy should not be leading the church. Paul's short. Paul's ugly. Paul's got a weeping eye disease. Paul's preaching is not that persuasive, or it's complicated and hard to understand. Okay, all of those different things. But that doesn't take away from Paul's calling. Who's in command? And then... The point that Paul's making here, the point really that Jesus is making through the Apostle Paul and Timothy, is that Christ leads this church and Christ commands this church. And he leads and commands the church, not through the best speaker, not through the best singer, not through the person who went to the best seminaries or the best yeshivas or the best rabbis. He leads this church through men he has saved with his good news, one who is chief among sinners, but who has been transformed by the word of God. Both of these men, and Paul highlights that, Timothy, my true child in the faith. Okay? When you go to the biblical doctrine book, Systematic Theology, that's put together by Dr. Mayhew and Dr. MacArthur, they make the point that Christ is the head of his church but he leads the church through delegating his authority to godly and faithful men, okay? Through men who are obedient to his word. And so Christ cares about who takes care of his family, who leads his church. And I've used that illustration before. I don't let anybody babysit our kids. I don't let anybody give instruction to our kids. Why? Because I love them. And the people who are going to take care of our kids or instruct our kids are the people who we have chosen, we have vetted, and are going to extend our leadership in their lives. Okay? The same is true of the leadership in the local church. The leadership of the local church, if it is not Christ's leadership, it is not his church. Plain and simple. If the men in leadership are not men whose lives have been transformed by the word of the Lord, if they have not been saved by the gospel, if Christ is not commanding their life, I don't care how many doctorates and how many times they've been to TMS, that is not Christ's church, okay? Christ cares about who commands his church. And the Apostle Paul is doing this intentionally because he's letting the church in Ephesus know, and he's letting all the churches in Asia Minor know who the leadership of the local church is. It's Christ Jesus himself and the men who Christ has called and qualified in ministry. How? By the gospel. And I can tell you plenty of stories of men who have graduated from seminary who are a holy terror and doing great damage to the church. Okay? Second point, okay? 
Christ cares about who commands his church. Christ cares about what is taught in his church. And that's verse three through five, okay? As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, okay? Jesus cares an awful lot about what is taught at a Bible study, what is taught in your home, men, what you teach your wives, fathers, what you teach your children, okay? What goes on in a Bible study, a small group meeting, every aspect, he cares about what is being taught. And the big standard and the big question here, okay, where he says not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. Speculation is essentially human opinion. What I think, well, this is what I think this word is saying. Well, this is what I think he's doing, okay? What I think really doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. The only opinion that is gonna save you, okay, is the opinion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we stand before him on judgment day and he looks at us, I'm not going to be able to say, well, Peter told me this. Ted told me this. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is Christ's opinion of me. Okay? That's the only thing that matters. Christ cares about what is taught in his church. And very specifically, the call here when it refers to any different doctrine, it's talking about any teaching that deviates from the sound words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7 at the end, gives the illustration of the wise man who built his house upon the what? Rock. And he's making a reference to Christ's teaching, his teaching, as opposed to the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Those who heard the word, but they didn't build their life, on the word of Christ. And Jesus makes that point. You don't build your life on my word. You build your life on Pastor Mark's preaching. Whoa, you build your life on Christ's word. That is what is going to make your house stand when the storms come. His word gives life because he is God. He's the living word of God. Okay. And so when we look at what does Christ want taught in his church, it's very simple. His word, his sound words, the words of Jesus. So when we look at the teaching, are we teaching what Jesus taught? Are we teaching the way Jesus taught? Are we teaching with the heart that Jesus taught with? Are we teaching for the same goals and reasons that Jesus taught? Okay? When a pastor gets up and gives his sermon, when someone teaches. They should do so with fear and trembling. Charles Spurgeon used to always go into the pulpit and pray before he got in the pulpit, Lord, have mercy on me. Okay? Because the word that was to be spoken was Jesus' words, not Charles Spurgeon's. Yes, through Charles Spurgeon. Yes, flavored through that. But at the end of the day, it is to be Christ's word that is spoken in Christ's house because he is the leader. And every leader, the words that they speak need to be weighed carefully. With many words comes sin or transgression. That the words that come out of our mouth need to be Christ's words and not ours because only his words give life. Okay? Is the teaching in the church Christ's teaching? And all we have to do is look in the Gospels. It's not hard. All we have to do is open up our Bible and say, okay, is this matching with this? Well, the men 
in Ephesus had veered from that. And this takes us to our third point. Christ cares about how his word is used in his church. Christ cares about how his word is used in his church. These men were mishandling the word of God. They were using the law unlawfully, if you will, okay? Now, if we say wide-angle lenses, okay? Brothers and sisters, all of God's word is given for one purpose, to bring you to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it, okay? Through Christ, we know who God is. We know what he requires of us. We're drawn to the Lord. We know who the Lord is. All of the word from Genesis through Revelation is given to us to turn us from our sin and to turn us to Christ. That's it. When the word is used for any other reason, a historical document, is there a lot of historical data here that tells us about what the Hittites were like and the Amorites and every other ites that are in there? Yeah, there's a wealth of that. Is there a wealth of information that is going to enable us to have a PhD on the ancient Near East use of pottery? Absolutely. Okay. Now, look. I make a joke out of it. But brothers and sisters, how often have we been offended or hurt or upset and we've gone on the internet and looked for a blog or gone there and found a scripture which we think backs up what we think and we misuse and we mishandle God's word and it's being used not in the way that God designed it to bring us to Christ as opposed to to validate our ideas, our desires, our wishes, our wants. That abuse happens from the pulpit all the way down to our everyday life, whether it's to defend what type of schools we send our children to, to what type of places and freedoms we can do, all of those things. That's not what the Word of God is there for, brothers and sisters. That Word of God, when we read it, is to give us an encounter with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you have your devotions and people say, you know, it's dry. Well, we need to look to the Spirit and ask for His help. And we need to come to Jesus because when we come to that Word, our flesh is fighting because our flesh does not want us to encounter Christ. But the purpose of the Word ultimately is to bring us closer to Jesus, not to live a better life. Okay? What these men were doing all the way through is they were taking Scripture and using it for personal ambition. And Jesus addresses that. And he cares so much about his word, he calls those who teach and lead his church to actively correct. The responsibility of church leaders is not only to teach God's word, but to correct those who are not teaching God's word in both word and doctrine, who are living apart from the gospel. Very strong language. The aim of our charge, verse 5, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Okay, why does Jesus care so much about who commands his church, about what is taught in his church, and about how we handle his word? Okay, are we handling his word in a way that is consistent with the gospel? Okay, you know, the answer very simply, it goes right back to the beginning, to Genesis 3, when Satan the serpent comes in and distorts the word of God. And what he does is he 
uses that distortion of what is being taught to challenge who is in command of Adam and Eve's life. God is not good. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not worthy of being in charge of your life. And so Satan, with a whisper, comes in and distorts the teaching. And he has it just slightly deviate. He actually says part of what God says and then deviates in that direction to distort that, to address what is taught. And he misuses and he mishandles the word of God. And even Adam buy it because it gets them what they want. A life without God's rule. And ultimately it destroys them and it destroys their world and it destroys everybody who falls after. Why does Jesus care so much about these three things? Who leads his church, what is taught in his church, and how we handle his word. It's because his word gives life. It's because his word has created us and his word saves us and makes us wise for salvation. He cares about it, brothers and sisters, because he loves you and I. It's his love for us, okay, that he cares so much, okay? In our household, all right, the knives are all put away, and we tell our boys that they're not to walk around with knives. It's obvious, right? Why? Because I don't want my children to be harmed. It goes one step further because I love them. The same thing goes for their screen time. Okay, Julie and I monitor what they see in the screen. And now that they're being at school online all the time, they're getting bombarded with that. Okay, and Julie and I have to monitor what they're seeing. Why do we care about what they see in the screen? Because we love our kids. And because what goes into them has an impact and effect on them. Brothers and sisters, we're Christ's family, we're his children. He died for us. He cares about it. He cares about these things because any deviation from the gospel is going to destroy us sooner or later. It's going to destroy our marriages. It's going to destroy our worship. It's going to destroy our relationships. It's going to destroy our work and our reputation at work. It's going to destroy every aspect of our life. Make no mistake. Okay? It comes up over and over and over again. As you go to the Proverbs, he makes that point over and over and over again. Proverbs 13, 13, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded, okay? And Psalm 1. So where does that leave us, okay? These three questions, okay? Whose word commands your life? Whose word, who's in charge? Who gets the last say on the house that you buy, the friends that you hang out with, the vacations that you take, the decisions that you make, whether we go to church or we don't go to church, whether we send our kids to school or not, who, who ultimately has the last say? And what role, brothers and sisters, does prayer and the ministry of the word play in that? Okay, whose word instructs your life? Similar, okay? Who's the person? Who's the command? But what is the word? I think we would be surprised at how much the words of the world influence the decisions that we make what type of jobs we apply for, who we hang out with, the decisions that we make for our families, the schools that we choose to go, those are things that we battle with on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And that's why it takes time. That's why many times those decisions are not obvious to us. That's why we need to seek godly counsel. That's why we need to pray. And that's why I believe the Lord makes us wait on many of those things and doesn't give us what we want right away. 
because if we got what we wanted right away, that would be informed by the world or our sinful desires rather than the one who loves us and died for us, whose word instructs your life. Number three, how do you handle God's word and the gospel? Is it precious to you? And do you believe that it is 100% pure? And therefore, it should not be tarnished or contaminated with anything. Would you defend it with your life? So much so that when you hear someone misusing or saying something different, you're willing to step up and say, oh, brother, that's not the gospel. One of the ways that comes up frequently as we shepherd people is they say, and, and, and we raise a concern that maybe their life or their path or their leadership in the home is not consistent with the gospel. And one of the things that we consistently hear from people is, oh, well, I'm no worse than anybody else, or I'll try harder. That's a false teaching, brothers and sisters. That's a false teaching that is going to damn that person. Maybe not to hell, but it's going to take them far, far away from Christ. I'll try better. Only Christ can save us. Only Christ can save a marriage. Only Christ can save a relationship. Only Christ and the good news of his gospel can transform a sinner into a leader of a home. I'll try harder. The reason you are here and having problems and your life is going away from the gospel is because you've been trying harder all your life and it hasn't got you anywhere. It's gotten you away from Christ. You need to stop trying harder and you need to turn and run to Jesus. Okay, so we'll say that to brothers. Why? Because we love them. And it's out of a heart of love to say, if you continue believing this lie, I'm no better, I'm no worse than the next person, or maybe it'll get better, they're still going to be there in whatever mess they're in. Two years now, three years, except it's going to be worse, because I've got news for you, brothers and sisters. Sin compounds just like interest, okay? It doesn't get better on its own. Only Jesus can lift that burden. So we correct when words come out that are contrary to the doctrine, not just for teachers, but everybody, because we love people, okay? How do we know where things stand? And I'll close up with this. The good news and sound words of Christ Jesus. How do we know whether Christ commands our life, whether he instructs our life, and whether we handle his word in the way he calls of a person's life? Is it clear that Christ is not in charge of their life and that they're leading their own life and that their life does not look like the sound words of Jesus? You can know a lot of the Bible, brothers and sisters, and it isn't hard to see that Christ isn't your Lord. Why? Because the trajectory of your life does not resemble Christ's life. Okay? And that's one of the other ways that people lull themselves into a false sense of assurance and they're going to hell because maybe they show up to church maybe they do a few things here maybe they open the bible with their wives but at the end of the day the trajectory of their lives is not going in the direction of the lord they can know all the bible knowledge in the world and yet there can be a brother who will call me up and say to me i'm struggling with pornography I can't seem to break the habit. I do the best I can. I fail. I need help. That's the brother 
whose confession is consistent with the gospel. And that's the one who by faith the Lord is likely going to save. Not the one who says, I pulled out chairs at church, I served every week, I did the disabled ministry, I've got my ticket to heaven. No, right? When we look at it closely, is that conduct and the pattern of the life, does it look like the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Conscience. Confession, conduct, and conscience. Is our conscience, our awareness of whether we're living rightly, is it informed by the words of Jesus Christ or is it informed by something else? And you see this on a regular basis. Brother, how are you doing? Well, you don't get a straight answer. Well, you get a lot of deflections. Well, you get a little bit of this and that, and you get a little Jesus speak here and there. What's going on with the conscience, brother? Okay. And all of these tie into the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the heart of the issue, brothers and sisters, is when Christ is king of our lives our confession, our conduct, and our conscience increasingly comes under and looks like the good news of Jesus Christ. He does it, not us, okay? So for men who are teachers, are your words and instruction consistent with the gospel? Is Jesus the one who is in charge of every aspect of your life? Not are you perfect, not do your kids behave perfectly, not as everything in your life, ooh, resembling a seminary experience, but is it submitted to the authority of Christ, okay? Teachers and leaders, is it Jesus' life that informs the decisions that you make? Do you handle the gospel and Christ's word as your most treasured possession? Church members, when you look at who should be a leader or who should not be a leader, this is what informs you. Because what Jesus shows us in 1 Timothy is that upon this, the rest of the church will stand or fall. Okay? Our order of worship, our marriages, okay, the leadership of the church, how we care for the needy people in the church, all of those things which Paul walks Timothy through, that's all built on these three things, okay? Members of the church, is your life coming under the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be corrected by Christ himself? Are you willing to appreciate his love in your life? Is your hope not in the things of this world, but what Christ desires to do with his word in your life, your marriage, your work, every aspect of your life, okay? So this is 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1 is the testimony that Christ cares for you, and he cares so much for you that he cares who leads in his church, he cares what is taught in his church, and he cares about how we handle his word. And because he cares, we should too, okay? Here endeth uh, the lesson. And with that, I will hand it back to uh, Steve. Thanks, Pastor Mark. I'm thankful for the proclamation of the word. Um, Paul later on in the book, First uh, Timothy 4.16, talks about, um, as he's talking directly to Timothy, to, to watch uh, your life and doctrine closely. Um, 
for by them you'll save yourself and your hearers. And uh, you know, we see today just from um, just the introduction uh, in these first this first passage that Christ cares deeply about life and doctrine because these two things are inextricably linked. Uh, what we what we say we believe um, and and how we live our life uh, they're not two distinct things, but they're actually uh, one and the same. And so. Um, Christ cares deeply about these things in our individual lives as well as in our church. And uh, thankful for the proclamation of the word today. Um, before we um, end our time together, I have a couple of announcements that I'll go through. Uh, first off is, um, if this is your first time joining us, uh, welcome to Lighthouse and welcome to, to Loghouse. Log, sorry, welcome to Logos. A um, little bit of a tongue twister. Um, thankful that you're able to join. And if uh, you want to find out more information um, about the gospel, uh, which Mark referenced today and, um, and, and preached through tonight, um, if you are unsure of what the gospel is, the good news of the gospel, uh, we encourage you to reach out to uh, Teddy Yu or, or Naomi Yu. Uh, they'd be happy to um, uh, set up time and, and walk through that with you. Um, Lagos is a part of uh, Lighthouse San Jose uh, Church, and um, this is the midweek Bible study, uh, but um, our main time together is during Sunday morning worship, um, and recently we've opened up um, indoor and outdoor gatherings as well, um, in addition to the virtual streaming. Uh, so we encourage you and welcome you to, uh, to join, join us on Sundays for Sunday worship. Uh, as far as Lagos, um, next week, there's no formal meeting scheduled, no large group meeting like this, uh, nor is there um, small group sharing in, or sorry, discipleship group sharing in prayer time scheduled. Uh, we encourage you to take advantage of that to schedule uh, maybe some informal get-togethers um, with each other, uh, check in um, on other members of the church and spend time in fellowship that way. The next time we'll all come together is October 8th. Uh, in, in this large group format, and we'll be going through the next passage in First Timothy, which is First Timothy 1, 12 through 20. If you are not a part of a discipleship group, please reach out to Edwin, JC, or Teddy. Uh, we encourage you to, to join our groups, um, and uh, that's where you'll find um, opportunities for, for life on life discipleship and um, accountability. Uh, as well as a uh, deeper study in the word. Um, the next announcement is baptism service, which is coming up October 11th. Um, if you are, um, well, first of all, I encourage you all to come out and celebrate uh, the baptism of believers, which is uh, one of the two ordinances um, that Christ has instituted in the church. It's an opportunity for us to be reminded of, um, of the gospel uh, and it's, um, impact in changing lives. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about being baptized um, or interested in learning about membership, uh, I think Kevin is going to be posting a link um, that you can sign up uh, for, for um, if you're interested to learn more. Uh, otherwise, you can email membership at lbcsj.com. Okay. Uh, and then the last announcement is in regards to um, ACBC, which is the Biblical uh, Counseling Conference that's coming up. Uh, that's going to be October 5th and 6th, uh, which is uh, quickly approaching. 
Um, Signups and registration are still open. Uh, there are going to be um, several members from our church attending. This is a virtual conference this year. Uh, if you want to sign up, it's not too late. You can use the code GROUP10 to get a 10% discount as well on registration. Uh, so I think that's it for announcements. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up in prayer in a moment. And again, afterwards, uh, feel free uh, to either hop off or if you want to sit and hang out, uh, grab a snack, uh, you're welcome to do so. We'll keep the line open for a little bit. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for um, your word. We thank you, Father, um, just for the epistle of First Timothy. Uh, and as we learn today um, that Christ cares deeply uh, about who leads the church um, and Christ cares deeply about um, what, is, what is taught in the church uh, and how the gospel is taught and Christ cares uh, deeply uh, about um, uh, just the, um, uh, who's teaching and, and, and what's taught. And I pray, Father, uh, that we would um, just take seriously uh, the word of God. Uh, we would take seriously um, the doctrine um, and teaching of what we believe, uh, not just with um, uh, what we say what we believe, um, um, but how that affects the way we live um, the conduct of our lives. Uh, I just pray for um, uh, our study in First Timothy as we go on um, in the Lagos ministry, that it would be uh, a fruitful study for uh, those attending. Um, I pray, Father, that uh, the discipleship groups would be uh, just a sweet time of fellowship, uh, that it would be an opportunity to uh, challenge one, in, uh, one another in the faith. Uh, we just pray uh, as we go from here to um, our classrooms, um, our workplaces, uh, to our friends and family, uh, wherever we may be, um, help us to uh, remember that uh, we are ambassadors for Christ um, and help us to uh, just be reminded of the things that we uh, have learned tonight. We thank you and lift these things up in your name. Amen.